0: Welcome to Faith of Our Fathers. Today, we feature Adrian Rogers. Dr. Rogers was pastor at Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee, where he grew the membership from 9,000 members in 1972 to more than 29,000 by 2005. God's blessing on Adrian Rogers' ministry became even more evident with the birth of Love Worth Finding Ministries in 1987. Today, Adrian Rogers presents a sermon on your guide to the great unknown.
1: Turn with me, please, to Joshua, relatively near the front of the Old Testament, chapter three. Now, we're facing a brand new year, and we don't know what that year is going to bring, and so the title of the message is, Your Guide to the Great Unknown. Now, listen and see what this scripture has to say. And Joshua rose early in the morning, and they removed from Shittim and came to the Jordan. He and all the children of Israel and lodged there before they passed over, that is, before they went into the land of Canaan. And it came to pass after three days that the officers went through the host, and they commanded the people, saying, When ye see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests the Levites bearing it, then shall ye remove from your place and go after it. Now in my Bible, those three words are underlined. Go after it. That's a key. And I want you to underline it in yours if you don't mind underlining. And then verse 4. And there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Friend, that's about a half a mile. Come not near unto it that ye may know the way by which ye must go. Now, they didn't know which way to go. And so here's what uh, Joshua said. Put the ark out there. Put it far enough out that everyone can see it. When it moves, you go with it because you don't know which way to go. And he explains that further. For you have not passed this way heretofore. Now, we can certainly say that about this year. It's a brand new year. And, and we don't know what this year is going to bring. We've not passed this way heretofore. And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And my dear friend, I want him to do wonders for you this coming year. Tomorrow the Lord will do wonders for you. Now, here were the children of Israel. They were right on the brink of blessing. Right there on the wrong side of the River Jordan getting ready to pass over. Before them was a land of opportunity. Between them and the land of opportunity was a raging river of difficulty. And Joshua now is telling these people how to possess their possessions, how to have victory, how to enter into a land that they'd never been in before and to enjoy that land and to have victory. What an application that has for your life this new year. Now, he said in verse 3, when you see the ark move, go after it. And he says in verse 4, the reason for that is this, you have never gone this way heretofore. The key to this entire passage is the ark of the covenant that you read about in verses 3 and 4. What was the ark of the covenant? The Ark of the Covenant was what I call the treasure chest of blessing. It was a box about the size of that pulpit. It was two feet by two feet by four feet. It had a golden slab on top of it called the mercy seat. Two angels, a cherubim, were on either side. And in between those cherubim was the Shekinah glory of God. That Ark was a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, because that ark represented the presence of God with His people, and that's exactly who Jesus Christ is. And that ark was an Old Testament picture, a prophecy, a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. The ark is mentioned in this third chapter 10 times. And God said to His people, when the ark moves, keep your eye on the ark, and when it moves, go after it, because you've never passed this way before. Now, folks, there was something radical and dramatic that happened in the life of those people. They had been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, and now they're about to make a dramatic change. Now, what had changed? What caused the change? Well, think about it. Was it the ark? Not necessarily. You see, they'd had the ark with them for 40 years. They had been carrying that ark around in circles for 40 years and they never entered in. It wasn't the ark that made the difference. It was the position of the ark. You see they had had the possession of the ark. But the ark had been in their midst. They had been just carrying the ark around. Now the ark is no longer in their midst. The ark is out here in front of them. The ark is now their head. And the ark is leading. No longer are they taking the ark with them, they are now following after the ark. May I tell you something, friend? Some Christians are victorious and some Christians are not. Why are some Christians victorious and other Christians not victorious? Have you ever thought about it? All Christians possess the same thing Jesus. The difference in Christians is not what they possess, it is not in possession, it is in position. You see, when the ark that they possess becomes the head and the leader, when the Lord becomes the leader, when the resident becomes the president, when the Christ who abides comes to preside, when the Lord begins to lead, then he leads to victory. You see, all Christians have the Lord Jesus Christ. Every Christian is a possessor of God's ark of the covenant. But not every Christian follows the Lord Jesus Christ into victory. Again, I want to tell you that the difference in one Christian and another Christian, a victorious Christian and a failing Christian, is not in possession, but in position. Some have learned to follow after the ark. Now, if you will make that your New Year's resolution, if you will say, I am not going to take a step without my eyes on the ark, Wherever the ark goes, that's where I'm going, and you'll have victory. Do you want me to tell you what victory is? Let me put it in a sentence. Victory is seeing which way God is going and then to join Him. That's it. Just see which way God is going and then to join Him. Verse 3 says, when you see the ark move, go after it. Just go after it. And that made the difference between 40 years of wandering in the wilderness and crossing over into the land of promise. Now, I want to mention three things that will happen to you, dear friend, if you will do what God told these people to do so long ago. I want to tell you the difference this will make. First of all, God is going to guide you through the uncharted places. Now, notice what he says in verse 4. You've never been this way before. You don't know what the future is going to hold. You see, a new year is an adventure. Folks, we're walking through unexplored territory. We don't know what the next 15 seconds is going to hold. We've never been this way before. And so we need someone to guide us. I heard about some people one night who were out on a ship in a dark, stormy night. It was a creaky old ship, and the passengers were a little frightened And so they sent an envoy to go talk to the captain to find out what this situation was. He went and talked to the captain. He said, Captain, the passengers are worried because this is an old ship and the night is dark and stormy. What is our condition? Captain said, I'm going to give it to you straight. He said, this is a leaky old ship and we may go down. But he said, I want to tell you something else. He said, the boilers on this ship are very weak. So we may go up. <laughs> but he said whether we go down or whether we go up, we're going on. I mean, we It's a dark and stormy night. And this whole world is not what it ought to be. We don't know what's going to happen. We may go down. We may die this year. We may go up. Jesus may come this year. But whether we go down or whether we go up, hey folks, we've got no choice. We're going on, right? We are going on, we don't know what a new year brings. We have never passed this way before. But now you listen to me, dear friend, we don't have to know. Let me tell you three things we don't have to know. We don't have to know where. You see, Abraham went out. He didn't know where he was going. He marched under sealed orders. Do you know why that was good for Abraham? Had Abraham known where he was going, he would have put his eyes on the destination. But he didn't know where he was going So where did he have to keep his eyes? On God Did you know that's why God may keep you in the dark? So that you keep your eyes on him You see, he said, you don't have to know where you're going Just when the ark moves, just go after the ark Aren't you glad you don't know the future? I mean, what if you knew the demands That were going to be placed on you in the future? What if you knew the sorrows that might come? What if you knew the challenges might choke you down. I remember when I was in college, I was uh, at uh, a university in Florida, and a friend of mine came to me, and he said, Adrian, guess what I did? I said, what did you do? He said, I went through Memphis, Tennessee, and went to Bellevue Baptist Church, and went in and saw Dr. Robert G. Lee. Now, for those of you who don't know, he was the great esteemed pastor of this church, a legend in his own time, a great man. I thought to myself, how on earth did you get in to see him? Why, that would be like you telling me I went through Washington and stopped in to see Ronald Reagan. I thought, how did you get in to see him? And I asked him, I said, how did you get in to see him? He said, well, I asked his secretary, and she let me go in and see him. Well, I knew some churches had secretaries, but I didn't know any pastors had secretaries. And I thought to myself, how did uh, he, she know who he would see? I said, what did you do in there? I said, well, we talked a while, and then he had prayer with me. I thought to myself, you know, that's so great. I'd love to be able to do that and meet Dr. Robert G. Lee and talk with him and pray with him. But <laughs> I said, you know, to myself... I'll never have that opportunity. I, was, I thought that was such a great thing that my friend was able to do. Well, the years came and went. And ultimately, I became the pastor of this very same church. Sitting in that same office, sitting behind that same desk, my secretary buzzed and said, Pastor, Dr. Lee's out here, wants to know if he can come in and see you. I said, yeah, let him in. <laughs> now, if you told me as a 19-year-old boy that I'd be the pastor of this church, it'd have blown my gaskets. It's good we don't know the future. What if you knew that a year and a half from now your child is going to die of leukemia? What if you knew you were going to go through heartache or tragedy the next six months. You couldn't enjoy today by anticipating it. You see, God keeps the future from us. It's not good to know the future. We are not supposed to know the future. We've not passed this way before. All we know is we're to keep our eye on the ark. You're not to know where and you're not to know when. Uh, He just said, when you see the ark move, go after. Don't move until you see the ark move. And whenever the ark moves, then you move. You don't have to know when. Let me tell you this about God. With God, timing is far more important than time. Now, God's timing is always perfect. Do you know what, how you're going to get in a mistake this coming year? You may choose to do a good thing at the wrong time. You see, it may be God's will for you, but the ark is not yet moved. When you see the ark, move. When? Then go after it. You remember Moses? God told Moses to deliver the children of Israel from the land of Egypt, from the land of bondage. That was a good thing. But Moses got ahead of God. He didn't wait on God. He started out to be a missionary. He ended up a murderer. Remember how he killed the bully Egyptian, tried to bury him in the sand? But the winds of God displayed the works of the flesh. Moses spent 40 years on the backside of a desert because he got ahead of God. When God got ready to move them out, he did it in 24 hours, just like that. You see, God's timing is what we need to work on. I think of Abraham. God said to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to give you a son, a son of promise. Through him all the nations of the world shall be blessed. Well, that was a good thing. But Abraham got antsy. He couldn't wait on God. And so he decided he'd help God and hurry God. Friends, you can't help God and you can't hurry God. But what Abraham did, he went into uh, Sarah's handmaiden, Hagar brought a son into this world named Ishmael, a progenitor of the Arabs. And you know that to this very day, that because Abraham got ahead of God, it's not to say that God didn't want the Arabs in the world. God loves these people as He loves the Jewish people. But the point is that Abraham made a tragic mistake. He just simply got ahead of God. Now, friend, listen. You don't have to know why either. God's not going to tell you why. You couldn't understand it if God did explain it to you. He says, my ways are not your ways. Neither are my thoughts your thoughts. As the heavens are high above the earth, so high are my thoughts above your thoughts. And my ways above your ways. Who hath known the mind of the Lord? Who hath been his counselor? You don't have to know when. You don't have to know where. You don't have to know why. You've never been this way before. Just keep your eye on the ark. The Bible says, how are we to live? Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Don't run ahead of God. Don't lag behind God. When you see the ark move, go after it. Go after it. The Lord leads His people. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. That takes time, dear friend, to spend time Looking at the Lord Jesus Christ To see what God is up to That's where most of us fail We just run out and do something Even if it's wrong And then ask God to rubber stamp our plans Now there's a second thing I want to tell you Listen My dear friend If you will just this coming year Just keep your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ Not only will he guide you Through the unknown places But friend he will grant you The unfading promises He will grant you The unfading promises. Now watch. In verse 3, that ark is called the ark of the covenant. Do you see it? The ark of the covenant. Do you know what a covenant is? A covenant is a promise. An unfading, unfailing promise. And again, Jesus is our ark of covenant. When the Lord Jesus Christ, that last meal He had with His disciples, took that cup, filled with the ruby red fruit of the vine, He held it up and He said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. He is the ark of the covenant that we have. And all of the promises of God are yea and amen in Him. As we follow the ark of the covenant, the Lord Jesus Christ, He will guide us through the unknown places. He will grant us the unfailing promises of God. Now, my dear friend, listen, those promises are good for all saints. Those promises are good for all seasons, and they're good for all situations. Look, if you will, here in verse 7. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day will I begin to magnify thee in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. Now, I love that, folks. As I was with Moses so I will be with you. Now, what was God saying to Joshua? Joshua, the promises did not die with Moses, okay? Now, I want to tell you something, folks. The promises didn't die with Joshua either. Do you know what God says to me, Adrian? As I was with Joshua, so I will be with you. Now, friend, don't let 2,000 years keep you from a promise. The promises are for all saints, they are for all seasons, they are for all situations. Don't think that somehow God blessed these people. God promised these people certain things, but God won't keep His covenant with us. Turn to to Psalm 119 for just a moment, and let me show you a wonderful verse. Psalm 119, verse 89. Forever, O Lord, Thy word is settled in heaven. You might as well quit arguing about it, folks. It's settled in heaven. <laughs> you know, those of us who believe in, in the inerrancy of the word of God, we sometimes talk about the inerrancy of the original manuscripts. And I had a fellow say to me one time, well, you don't have the original manuscripts, so how do you know they were inerrant? I said, friend, it was inerrant before it ever even got to a manuscript. And forever, O oh Lord, thy word is settled in heaven before it was ever even written down. You don't have to have the manuscript. You've got the inerrant word of God forever, O Lord. Thy word is settled in heaven. Now listen to verse 90. Thy faithfulness is unto all generations. Thou hast established the earth and it abideth. They continue this day according to thine ordinance, for all are thy servants. What's he saying? He's just saying the promises that are settled in heaven are to all generations, right on down to this present time. And if you want God to be real to you, if you want the promises to be uh, bright and vital to you, just my dear friend, put your eyes on God's ark and He's going to grant to you the unfading promises because that ark is the ark of the covenant. Now, I want to say a third thing that's going to happen to you this year. If you'll say, my New Year's resolution... Is to follow the ark And wherever it goes I'll go after it But i tell you what else he'll do And boy this excites me He will guard you He will guard you With unfailing power Now let me show you what happened here So uh, Joshua says to the people Alright here we are on the wrong side Of the river Jordan We're getting ready to move into the promised land Now here's what happens He says in, in verse 3 When the ark moves, go after it, and then look down in verse 11, if you will, in verse 11, and watch it. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all of the earth passeth over before you, that is, it's leading you, into the Jordan. Now, the Jordan, of course, is a river. Now, therefore, take you 12 men out of all of the tribes of Israel, Out of every tribe a man. And it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priest who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that come down from above, and they shall stand up in one heap. Have you ever seen a heap of water? (laughs) You just don't heap water up. You can heap wheat up, but you don't heap water up. This is an incredible thing. Now, folks, this wasn't the ordinary time. Sometimes the Jordan River is not as wide as this auditorium. Sometimes the water is so low, I've seen it where you could just wade across, only be waist deep. But as you continue to read in this third chapter, you'll find out that this time that the water was up to the brim, the brink of Jordan. There are about two or three terraces. And like our Mississippi River here, as it rises, it gets wider and deeper and more turbulent. And there are tamarisk trees and willow trees and things along the bank. And now the water has come all the way up. It is a raging, mighty torrent. The water is just cascading down. The Lord says, that river of difficulty is going to stop. The water is going to rise up in a heat. How high did the water get? It must have been staggering. It must have been like a 10, 20-story building, just a, a quivering, pulsating mass of water. Can you see it in your mind's eye just standing there? The children of Israel went through because they were guarded by the God of power. Now, let me tell you something. Do you know why some of us don't follow God? Why some of us never get into Jordan? We don't believe God. Give me an illustration. I hope. This doesn't plow too close to the corn, but let me ask you a question. Why is it that some of you don't tithe? I'll tell you why. You don't really believe God. You see, let me give you a verse. Malachi chapter 3, bring all the tithe into the storehouse and prove me. Put me to the test, God says. Prove me, herewith saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, there shall not be room enough to receive it. Now, if a person believed that verse, would he tithe? Sure. I mean, who wouldn't want God to open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing so great he couldn't even receive it? Sure he would tie if he believed it. The only reason he doesn't do it, obviously, is he doesn't believe it. You see, disobedience is really disbelief. And why don't people believe God? Well, they just don't know God as they ought to know Him. You see, you can't trust someone you don't know. And if you trust someone, you will obey that one when they tell you to do something for your welfare and your good. I heard about a tribe of Indians down in Florida. They have a church down there on a reservation. One of the remarkable things about this little Indian church is that almost all of the members, over 90% of the members are tithers. Somebody decided to find out why these Indians tithed. So he he went and asked one of them, he said, why do all of the members, almost all of them in this church tithe? The Indians said, well... Bible teach tithing, Indian believe Bible, Indian tithe. May his tribe increase. (laughs) Think about it. Bible teach tithing, Indian believe Bible, Indian tithe. See. Well, do you know why, why we don't trust God? Do you know why we never get into Jordan, whatever it may be that he commands us to do? It's because we really don't trust God. And you know why we don't trust God? Because we don't know God. You can't trust someone you don't know. And that's the reason when Joshua was asking these people to do something like step into the River Jordan, he first of all describes the character of God. And I want you to see how he describes God. Look, if you will, in verse 9. Uh, Joshua chapter 3, verse 9. And Joshua said unto the children of Israel, Come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. Now there he's called the Lord your God. He's the sovereign Lord. Then look in verse 10. And Joshua said, hereby shall you know that the living God is among you. Underscore that, the living God. He's the Lord God. He's the living God. And then look, if you will, in verse, let's start in verse 11. Behold the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all of the earth. There you have three descriptions of him. First of all, he's the Lord your God. Secondly, He is the living Lord. And thirdly, He's the Lord of all of the earth. Now think about it. He's the Lord your God. That is, He's the sovereign Lord. He has the right to command. He's the Lord your God. You don't have to ask why. It's not for you to reason or to say why. It's yours to obey. And if He tells you to go into the Jordan, then the Lord your God's going to have to tell the Jordan to get out of your way. You don't say, Lord, stop the Jordan and I'll go. You just say, yes, sir, Lord. You don't have to say, Lord, fix my bank account so I can tithe. Or Lord, show me this or that. You just say, yes, or Lord. Just yes, sir, Lord. He's the Lord your God. He's the sovereign Lord. And then verse 10 says, He is the living Lord. And because He's the living Lord, that is, He's with you. He's not some God way up in heaven. My dear friend, when you follow the ark everywhere you go, God goes. Look, if you will, in this wonderful verse here in verse 11. It's, it's, it's such a great promise. Look at it. And then he says, oh, verse 10 is what I want. And Joshua said, Hereby shall you know that the living God is among you. How can you know that the living God is among you? And that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Perizzites and the Gargashites and the Amorites and the Jebusites and the Termites and whatever else is there. Termites, that's mine. All right. Now listen, what he's saying is this. He's saying He's the living God. He's not just the sovereign God up there telling you what to do. He is the living God. He lives with you. And what He commands you to do, He enables you to do. Every command of the sovereign God is a promise of the living God that He will perform in you and through you what He commands you to do. See, that's so great. Here were all of these enemies. But He's saying, greater is He that's with you than those folks over there in that land. What does he say to us? Greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. We've got something better than they have. The Lord was with them. He's in us. Did you know there are 14.4 pounds of pressure on every square inch of your body right now? Do you know the air has weight? Your stack, it goes way up. And so the weight of the air puts pressure on every square inch of your skin. Literally, right now, there are tons of pressure on you. Tons! the weight of the air. Why doesn't it crush you? Because you have pressure inside also to counterbalance the pressures on the outside. That keeps you from from imploding. Now, dear friend, there's a power in you that's greater than all of the power outside of you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. He is the living God. You see, as the Lord your God, he's sovereign. As the living God, he's sufficient. But now wait a minute. The next verse says, He's the God of all the earth. Not only is He sovereign and sufficient, but my dear friend, He is in control of every situation. He is the saving God. I want to show you something beautiful, and I'll be finished. <laughs> oh, it's so exciting. Take your Bible and look. He says this in verse 14. And uh, it came to pass that when the people removed from the tents to pass over the Jordan... And the priest bearing the ark of the covenant before the people, and as they who bore the ark were come unto the Jordan, and the feet of the priest who bore the ark were dipped in the brim of the water, for the Jordan overfloweth all its banks at the time of the harvest. Oh, it was turbulent. It was rushing. Notice that the waters which came down from above stood and rose up in one heap very far from the city of Adam." Now, my dear friend, a better rendition, a better translation is, and if you have a New American Standard or a Bible like that, it will say, "...at the city of Adam, which is beside Zarathan, and those that came down even toward the Sea of the Araba." Do you know what the Sea of the Araba is? That's the Dead Sea. Even the salt sea failed and were cut off. And the people passed over right against Jericho. Those were their enemies. They're right there. There's Jericho up there and full of demon-possessed people. And the people passed right over against Jericho. Now watch. And the priest who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all the Israelites passed over on dry ground until the people were passed completely Over the Jordan Get the picture Here is that rushing mighty river Do you know what the Jordan stands for? It stands for death and judgment Let me tell you why The name Dan means judgment Jordan is the river of judgment It is flowing where? To the place of death The salt sea, the araba uh, in, In the desert, the araba Down here, 1300 feet below sea level, and the sea itself is 1300 feet deep. The lowest place on earth. Everything that flows into it dies. It cannot live there. Here is a river of judgment that ends in death. Now that ark pictures who? The Lord Jesus Christ. Going into that river of judgment and death. And when he enters in, that river ceases flowing. Watch, all the way back to the city of Adam. In Adam all die, but in Christ all are made alive. All the way back to Adam, those waters just pile up. No longer are they sweeping in judgment and death down to the Dead Sea. They're stopped there, quivering mass of judgment is held back by a treasure chest of blessing there in the riverbed. And the people of God are passing through. Friend, Jesus went into the chilly waters of the river of death to stop death and judgment for you that you might pass through. Let me tell you something. You know where this happened? The Bible says over against Jericho, if you ever go to the Holy Land, You'll go to Jericho probably, and the guide will say, Right over there is where Jesus was baptized. Right over there. You'll be able to see the River Jordan from Jericho. And he'll say, Right over there is where Jesus was baptized. Do you think it was an incident that Jesus was baptized in the same spot that that ark went into the water? The same spot. Where the ark went in is where Jesus went in. Because, you see, when Jesus was baptized, what was His baptism a picture of? Of His death, His burial, and His resurrection, right? You see, listen. It is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that stopped that river of judgment. That's what His baptism symbolized. And Jesus Christ was baptized in the very same spot that that ark went in and stopped the river of judgment. What's God saying to us, dear friend? What is God teaching us on this threshold of a new year? That if we'll keep our eyes on the ark, He'll guide us through the uncharted places. He will grant us the unfading promises, and He will guard us with His unfailing power. He, my friend, is the Lord your God. He is the living God. He's the God of all of the earth. You just really just need to make one resolution. Lord, I'm going to keep my eyes on the ark, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith. I'm just going to keep my eyes on Him. And whenever the ark moves, I'm going after it. It's one thing to have the ark in your midst. It's another thing to have the ark at your head leading and guiding. I don't know what the new year holds. We've never passed this way before. So keep your eyes on the ark. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you'll seal the message to our hearts today and help us to trust you as never before in your holy name. Amen.
0: Today's sermon by Adrian Rogers was provided courtesy of the Love Worth Finding Ministries. Find more great content on their website. Love Worth Finding at lwf.org. That's lwf.org. You've been listening to Adrian Rogers. Listen to Faith of Our Fathers each Saturday and Sunday to hear more great 20th century preachers.